You're listening to the Product Podcast by Product School. My goal here is very simple. It's to increase the number of first round product management interviews that people in this room can get. And that is what we're going to be laser focused on during the talk. I'm happy to take questions on other stuff, but our main material is not on how to answer questions super well, but how to get them to care about talking to you in the first place. So um, first, a little bit about myself. Um, just I need to establish some degree of credibility so you can decide whether or not to listen to all the stuff I'm going to say for the next half hour. Um, coming out of college, I worked. This is um, my job searches since graduating from college in 2010. Um, during that period, I've enjoyed an 80% conversion rate from first round to offer across all jobs that I've applied to. So uh, I first was uh, working for BCG, a management consultancy where I interned. I then did a wide product management job search with no previous internships or experience in that area. Did have a CS degree, which helped. Um, got offers from companies listed here, uh, as well as a few others. Mainly came down to OkCupid versus Google. I ended up working at OkCupid, which was a phenomenal decision, um, not just in terms of autonomy, but I also uh, met my uh, girlfriend, who I'm going to be posing pretty soon. Uh, and so the best, I learned a lot about dating there, and that was really good for my life. So if you see a company that will help you out in other ways, you might think about applying there. I left OkCupid to uh, found a mechanical prototyping startup, which I worked on for a couple years. And then I did a very focused job search where I eliminated almost everywhere that I looked at before interviewing there. Um, and ended up between Poll Everywhere, where I work now, and TripleByte, which is a recruiting startup for developers. Uh, the other thing that's relevant is I've been the hiring manager on an interview panel for these nine roles, some multiple times. So I've seen a lot of job searches in different contexts. And the final experience I'm drawing on is that of a coach. So I work with uh, people that are uh, trying to apply for jobs uh, twice a week per student on um, how to do stuff like this, how to pick the companies they're working on, uh, get interviews, succeed in those interviews, and negotiate offers. So that's the pool of experience I'm drawing upon. Um, this is just one perspective, though, so please do look at the other resources out there. A lot of it's going to contradict some things I'm saying. I may be very wrong. So uh, we'll get into it. But that's enough about me and enough for you to decide whether or not you want to kind of listen to what I'm saying. Um, so. Here's a little bit of a flow of what we're going to go through now that we're getting to the main content. Uh, now that I know that people do have somewhat low response rates in some cases, which is exceedingly common, and um, that we have a really wide variety of people in the room. So on the right side here, we've got a funnel of what applications could look like. Uh, at the top, we've got all the companies that exist in the world. You're going to pick some fraction of those that you want to apply to, you apply, you interview, all the way down to the offers at the bottom. Today, like I said, we're only focused on turning those applications into getting invited in for those first rounds. So we want to take that graph where everyone was at the top and move them to the bottom. Uh, and to do that, we're going to cover a few areas. First, we're going to go into why applying online usually doesn't work. Then we're going to do three things that can help improve that situation. Uh, branding, informational interviews, and structure. And I promise you, if you've heard of those things before, you will learn something new today. Uh, we'll briefly cover some resources for other parts of this funnel. We're not going to go into detail, but just if there are other areas we're having trouble, I want to point out some very intelligent people who have some smart things to say about them. And then finally, we'll get into the questions of whatever you have at the end. Um, does anyone have any questions on the outline before we get started? Going once, going twice. All right, let's get into it. So first, let's talk about why apply online usually doesn't work. And I'm sorry if this is kind of a, uh, triggering some stressful memories for people. It's uh, my first. Uh, set of job applications. Um, when I was in college, I sent out 
40 applications and two responded to me and they said no. Uh, so it can always get better. Um, this, is a, this is a screenshot of AngelList. So you may have seen this or other, other sites like LinkedIn or Indeed, which are analogous. Once you upload your resume information, they make it really, really easy to apply somewhere. You just maybe type in a little bit about why you didn't work there, you hit a button, your application is sent in. It's super seamless. And what's nice is it lets you do maybe 12 applications an hour. Even if you're you know, personalizing a little bit to the company, you look them up, you type in something about them, on the next one, on the next one, do a couple dozen, pat yourself on the back, you're done for the day. There's a problem here though, and that's, you gotta take it from the other side and look at it, what it's like to be a recruiter. And so if you're a recruiter, these easy applications lead to this giant pile of paper or uh, in this case, resumes and lever or greenhouse or your applicant tracking system of choice. And so what that means is because they have so many different resumes to go through, they are going to not really look through each one in detail because it's not their job to give everyone a fair shake. It's their job to find exactly one great candidate for their company who will accept an offer. So that means they're going to look at resumes for as low as 10 to 20 seconds before they decide if they're going to actually read the resume. They're going to skim for a few key heuristics to say, okay, I'm actually going to read this. And then they're going to read it for a few key characteristics and say, okay, I might interview this person. But one of the most common screens that uh, you apply to a resume is, has this person been a product manager for at least a year? I have used that screen before, and it is a very useful screen. Um, that doesn't mean it throws out projects. It throws out anything where you aren't managing a software team. If you do not have legitimate product management experience, we're not going to look at you. Move on. And that's super hard. That is the big gatekeeping you face when you try to transition from another career into product management, even if you're eminently qualified to lead a team. It's that the thing, it's a chicken and egg problem of they all want you to have the experience that you're applying to get in order to work there. So as an example, a similar role that my employer, Paul Everett, opened recently, we had about 400 applications and did about 25 first round interviews. So that's a huge cut right there. And this company is a great place to work, but it's not a place you've probably ever heard of. It's not a strong brand like an Airbnb, a Google, and Amazon, where the odds are way, way worse. So this is super grim. You can only cold apply like this when you have pedigree and experience, when you look like someone that fits that job, when you already worked at Google and now you're going to work at the startup. But for a lot of people in this room, that's not an option. The good news is that once you've got a year of experience, you're super in demand. I don't know which Pirates of the Caribbean this is from, but you're going to be Johnny Depp and whatever supernatural low-budget horror is chasing you. It's going to be all the recruiters trying to pick you off from your current job, telling you you have great experience and you should come work at whatever startup they're at now. So once you get that first job and you hold it for six months or a year, you're golden. But until you get it, it can be really hard. So... So what do we do about this now that we've, uh, we've hit the trough of sorrow? So first, let's talk about branding. So how do you stand out from that giant pile of stuff we just talked about? And uh, you can get way more in detail than this, but in the interest of being able to do this here, we're just going to ask a simple question or two. So does anyone want to have like a two-minute conversation with me uh, where we talk a little bit about your background and point out some places you might want to work? It's like free advice, except you might look stupid in front of a group of people. Uh, great. That, that was a sales pitch right there. What's your name? Scott. Hey, Scott. Thanks for volunteering. Um, Scott, uh, could you tell me a little bit about where you are in your journey to either become a product manager or maybe be the most eminent product manager we've ever met and 
I just don't know. Uh, yeah, so I have been an associate product manager Perfect. for about 18 months now. Great, and where are you? Um, I'm at a small startup called Zialy. Um, it's a VR, AR, 360 video gotcha. startup uh -huh. based in the East Bay. Before that, I came from a marketing background. Gotcha. Um, so now I'm looking to find a new product management role at mm -hmm. a like, well-resourced uh, startup in the city. Gotcha. And well-resourced is a really polite word. Uh, yes. Um, so, Let's talk, um, so I, yeah, you're looking for a new role right now. Let's talk a little bit about your transition into your first role, since I think that's probably most applicable to people here that are trying to get into this for the first time. Yeah. Um, what sort of marketing did you do before you were working at uh, Zeality? Was that digital stuff or? Um, so I actually started at that startup as a marketing intern, mm. my first job out of college. Perfect. Um, so I was doing social media um, and a little bit of like community outreach. Right. Um, and then I was tapped on the shoulder actually to join mm. the product team because they knew that I knew Photoshop and how to right. like, do wireframes. Mm. And I just like desperately needed help. So yeah. I kind of got really lucky in that sense. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So Scott, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we can use that example as uh, the nugget of a few ways you might get into product management. So that's a pretty great story. Scott was just on his team. He was valuable. He was internally promoted. Um, a lot of people are looking for that. Uh, sometimes it happens, sometimes companies kind of give you the false bill of goods and string you along for a while because you're really good at the first thing you're doing, they need you there. Um, but so Scott had skills as a marketer and if he hadn't been kind of internally selected, there are some ways he could apply to companies where he'd stand out. So if he applied to say a healthcare company, there's no reason to pick him over someone more experienced. If he applied to a company that developed marketing software, if he was the target user in a former life, then that's a way that he stands out. Even if he's less experienced, you might want to bet on Scott instead of some random product manager that's been working on healthcare for a long period of time. Um, and now that you've had this AR-VR experience, that's another way where perhaps not only directly looking at companies with AR-VR, but also maybe older, larger companies that are trying to be like somewhere that has like an innovation lab that is trying to do something with AR and VR and like move faster. Um, those are simple examples based on industry function. But it can also be things like your major, your hobby, what you grew up doing. This is, you know, we're covering a lot of grounds. So we're not going to go into great detail. But the goal is figure out if there's going to be 200 other people applying for the same job, why would they want to talk to you when you have less experience? Is there something that makes you fit with this company better than other people that would be applying? And uh, that's kind of the superficial view of branding. Probably a lot of you have heard that before. A more nuanced view might be that you want to figure out a set of stories that you have. Specific experiences that you can refer back to that make you appear very strong in a certain way. And you want to plan which of those stories need to be told to which people in advance. So if you have an interview panel uh, where you're facing someone that's really analytical in a sales role and you're also talking to the CEO, you might go in saying, I need to make the salesperson believe that I, am go that I care about sales. Even though I'm coming from, marketing, I'm coming from that marketing background, uh, sorry, I just hit the button on the clicker. I'm coming from a marketing background, and uh, I care about money being given to our company, so they need to get, I need to show them that they're going to get along with me. I need to show them that I'm really quant I respond to data. So if they come to me with six cases where we didn't sell a client because we're missing feature X, I'm going to listen. Things like that. Versus when you go to the CEO, you might show something entirely different. That's also true and also fits your brand, but is the right story for that moment. And so that's part of what you think about as you got more advanced in thinking about branding. But we still have a problem. There's still this giant pile of resumes. And now you're all nicely branded and everything perfectly fits the company and your resume gets thrown out anyway because you don't have any experience and they're not going to read it. 
So branding is a good start and it helps you determine where to spend your effort, but it's not sufficient to get you the first round interview. So now we need to talk about the next piece, informational interviewing. And what I'd submit here is that except for in very weird circumstances like your A-B testing if this works, then you should never cold apply. Now, what I mean by cold apply is that you should not send a resume to an online forum where a real human who is not a recruiter responding with one line to your email has invited you to do so. You want to be invited to apply. And that's for a very simple reason. When I put this slide up, if people are looking at it, their eyes are usually drawn for a longer period of time to the smiling person. Now, if these are the same person, it's much harder to reject this very nice gentleman right here than this abstract piece of paper which in some format represents a human. So you need some way of becoming a person to these people. And the answer to that is networking. Now, cue the internal groan, because how many times have you heard that advice? You have to go network. But like, what does that mean? Does that mean you talk with product school alumni? Do you go to meetups like this one? Do you get out your college alumni directory and look for people that were product managers? Do you talk to a lot of people for a little bit of time trying to find the right hit? Or do you talk to a few people but for a long time and try to build relationships? It's kind of like product management. When you've got your software team, there's a thousand things you can do that could be good for the product, but you don't have time for that. So you need to find the two or three things that really matter and do those. And so there's lots of interpretations of what networking is. I'm not saying other people are wrong, but for me, informational interviewing has been extremely valuable. And what I mean by informational interviewing, I'm going to show in a second. Let's look at two different ways of applying to a company. This is the intuitive approach to applying, which I'm going to read out loud because I don't think the uh, camera is going to make this out super well. So it's like what we saw in AngelList. You look at a job description, you're like, that looks fine. They have a decent salary. They have snacks. It's a, it's a company of the size I want. You write a little personalized application. You, take five, five, you could take five minutes. You could take an hour and a half and really research them. And then you apply. Uh, that is intuitive. That is also the reason that most people have a response rate of less than 10% when they apply places. So what I'd argue a more effective approach to applying would be you see the job description that says, OK, I want to look at this company now. You then find a set of people that work for, or even better, used to work there. I love people that got fired. You will never find out better information than interviewing people that got fired from a company. And it saves you a whole lot of time in not applying to really scary places. Um, and then you set up informational interviews with those people. And there's a lot under there, so we're going to unpack this. Because I really believe you can find people that have never spoken to you in your life. You can convince them to talk with you for a while, and you can learn valuable enough stuff that the company is going to interview you. So we're going to go into that in more detail in a second. Then you want to impress those people you're informational interviewing with enough that they're going to recommend you to the company. And you also want to learn about the company during that informational interview. And as we'll get into later, I'm not just talking about, let's like, is it a nice place to work? How's your team dynamic? I want you to find out the terrifying things, the things where when you go into an interview with an executive, you can make them understand that you see the holes in their business model. They walk out of that room thinking, they need to be concerned about something they weren't concerned about before. That makes an impression a lot more than, what is it like to work here? And so to get the ammunition for those tough questions, you're usually going to find that out in the informational interviews. Then, if you do this well enough, you're going to get, you're going to be applying through a personal connection. You'll have done the research, you impress someone, and they're going to put your resume in. You skip that pile. You go right around it. And so whether that's someone that used to work there or someone that works there now, you don't apply unless you're invited. So, we're going to go into a little more detail on this in a second, but uh, here's the kind of overall framework which I'd advocate. It's not 
the only right thing out there, but that's the reason why I've converted my jobs into offers so effectively, because I had this information, and that's the reason that my, when I apply to jobs, over half of them I get a first round interview for. Not because I'm special or I'm qualified, but because I do way more work before I apply and I'm disqualifying a lot of companies before I apply so that I'm an obvious choice for the few that I select. So what, uh, as we've gotten, as we sort of alluded to, there's a lot here. There's a lot of different things to talk about. Um, so we're going to talk about some topics briefly. I'm going to sort of point out some areas you can look for more information. But um, sort of like an iceberg, there's a lot more under the surface that you have to investigate. Uh, and unlike this picture, these tips are real. Uh, this is one of the most famous Photoshops in the world, actually, uh, before Photoshop. So first of all, how do you find people? So you have a set, you're looking at a company. You have a set of LinkedIn profiles of people that might be interesting to talk to. Um, these are four tools that uh, are used by sales and salespeople and recruiters that have some sort of free trial where you can convert those LinkedIn's into email addresses. For those of you taking photos, if you'd like it sent to you in a very attractive format with some more details, unusuallydifficult.com slash email. You're going to hear that a lot in the next few minutes. Um, so what you've, got, what you've got now is you've got people's email addresses. Now you need to send them cold email, which everyone really enjoys sending and really enjoys getting. And so in order to convert a cold email to someone wanting to talk to you, uh, that's going to take some work. You're going to need to work on your templates. There's a few different things you can do that I'll give you tips on here, though. One is that you want to show when you're... If, I'm reaching out to someone in this audience and they've never met me before and I'm trying to convince them that they're going to spend 15 minutes or a half hour of their life speaking to me, which is a big ask. There's a lot of things going on in the world. Then I need to convince them very quickly that we have something in common or there's some reason to talk to me. So in the first two lines of that email, there needs to be a logical reason why they should talk to me and why their time is going to be valued. If I just say I want to talk to you about working at this company, not very compelling. If I show that I've done research, and I say, I want to talk to you about this particular project you worked on. I want to talk about the contrast between large company X you used to work at and company Y where you're at now. And I want to talk about this other topic. That shows you put in some effort and research in advance. Um, because that brings to the other tip, which if this, if this email smells like a form email, people are not going to respond to it. It has to feel like you really understand why this company might be a good fit for you, why you'd be a good fit for this company, and why they uniquely have information that can help you out. Because if you do a good enough job here, it's awkward for them to refuse. This person is clearly so prepared and so likely to get this job that it's going to be terrible when they come in for their first day two months from now. They're right next to me, and I just didn't respond to that email. And so you can get response rates that are shockingly high once people start to think that you might actually work there. Um, but it takes, it'll take some work and iteration on your templates to do that. So let's say, great, you've got a set of emails. You send cold emails to some people. And maybe you're doing well and 20 or 30% of them respond. That'd be, that'd be really good. Then you have the informational interview. This is the most attractive photograph of an informational interview you can find. Um, so conducting a great informational interview is a long topic, but I want to highlight uh, a few things. One is that you really want to have a set of questions planned in advance. You want to know what you want to get out of the interview. Ideally, having specific targets for things that will either impress them about you uh, so kind of letting you humble brag in a subtle way so that it's like, oh, I should recommend this person to the company. Or getting you valuable information at the company that will be either terrifying to them or show that you did a lot of research so you can leverage that information to increase the success of your interviews. So um, if you sign up by that unusuallydifficult.com slash email, I'll send you a list of about 20 questions that are, fit, that are, 
that I've used for product roles in my past. The second thing I want to talk about informational interviews, and I'm going to make a dating metaphor here because I worked at OkCupid, so I like doing that, is that you want to kind of escalate the level of intimacy. So what she just pointed out is something where it'd be a scary thing about a job, but if you were to just go up to someone that you hadn't met before and ask them, hey, so uh, are you worried about your prospects of advancing here because everyone's kind of in the same family? Well, the upside, if they tell you the truth there, they help out some stranger who's asking them very weird questions. And if they, t and if they but they also risk that maybe one of the, their boss or their boss's sister or their boss's cousin or their boss's brother-in-law finds out about it and that negatively reflects on them. So this is an example of a question where if you don't know someone yet, you're not going to get a very helpful, truthful answer if you say, does this really scare you about the company? If I go up to someone and say, do you get along with your boss? Why were the last three people at this company fired? Like, things like that, you don't get a, you don't, you'll get a polite response, but not a truthful one. Not the kind that will actually teach you, ooh, I should stay away from this company, or oh, that's not scary after all. This is really good. So you're going to want to plan those informational interviews so that you have a set of questions, you know, first sort of introducing and just kind of having a polite conversation together, then moving into content questions, things that are non-controversial to answer, like what's the ratio of product managers to engineers, or what's the next big project for the company, and gradually get into things that involve more strategy or more of those really juicy negative pieces that you want to find out. And maybe a third of the informational interviews, even if you're really good, you don't get to ask those questions. You just never click that well. That's fine. But this is why talking to fired people is great, because usually they got a bit of a chip on their shoulder, and they just start dishing right away. Um, so that's a little bit about informational interviewing. Uh, I've done about 600 of these between products. You do it as a product manager to find out stuff from your users, and I like job searching way too much, which is why I'm here. So um, takes a while to build, but this is something you can learn very quickly. And most people, anything that you're hearing that seems a little unintuitive or like too much effort, that's why I call this unusually difficult because most people don't do it, and that's your leg up, and that's how you get out of that less than 10% category. So this leads to another problem, though. Now, instead of just applying to a company, I'm saying to do a ton of work for it. Uh, for, my, uh, for, that, for getting that Google offer, for example, I talked to at least 12 people that worked there or used to work there, and I split my prospective referral bonus among three of them to incent people I didn't know very well to help me with my interviews. So that's a lot of work to do in advance. And you've got to keep track of it somehow. So I'm not saying this is the system, but you need to use something, whether it's a spreadsheet, a CRM, whatever. When you're talking to, when you pick a company, and that means you need to go find five people and talk to them about informational interviews, pull that back into one application, spread it back out for your super day, uh, just please keep track of this. Otherwise, three weeks in, you realize you're just dropping emails left and right. And so uh, I don't have a lot to say on the structure point aside from have structure, because it's not, you're not, going to succeed if you just apply to companies and then don't even follow up if they don't get back to you. You need to be aggressive about following up. You need to have a lot of people. So uh, I'm not going to say out loud what you can do to get the spreadsheet, but I bet you have some guesses. So we talked about some ways to distinguish yourself, that if you need to brand yourself to figure out how you're distinctive, you need to use interviews, the most important part of this process, to find those companies where you could be distinctive and come in sideways to avoid that pile through a personal recommendation. And then you're going to need a structure to keep track of all these different people you're talking to because there's a funnel everywhere here. There's a funnel when you find people, some reply to your inf interviews, some are useful, some recommend you. A lot, you're going to talk to a lot of people along the way. So now let's talk about next steps. So there's a lot of other stuff aside from just getting an interview. 
And here are some of the best resources I've encountered for how to uh, manage those processes. Um, at the top of the funnel, when you're figuring out what you want to do or um, what companies might be interesting that fit your, what you want to make of your life, uh, In Transition is a book from, uh, I think, the early 90s. That's my favorite job searching book, bar none. Uh, the one you may have heard of is What Color Is Your Parachute? I haven't used that one too much, but I've encountered a lot of people that it helped them find a direction. Um, 80,000 Hours is a website uh, started by someone who you shouldn't read the biography of because they're probably younger than you and they've probably done a lot with their life that will make you feel sort of sad about how much you've done. But uh, that's a, they're an uh, advocate of like working and making an impact on the world, whether that's giving a huge percent of your money to charity or doing science research or whatever. But they've got some really robust tools uh, for finding career paths. And for skeptics like me, they also notably have sources to the studies for why those tools do and do not work. Um, so it's nice to see some studies, even if they are studies of like, you know, 23 white undergraduates at an Ivy League undergraduate, like an Ivy League school, of like, at least someone's trying to see this works or it doesn't. And then for later in the funnel, the two most relevant for PM that I've seen are Cracking the PM interview. Gail Lockham McDowell gave a talk here like a month ago. Um, that's sort of the Bible of it. And then I've also heard good stuff about Decode and Conquer. Haven't read that one. Uh, Lewis Lynch. So there's a bunch of resources for other parts of the funnel. Um, and with that, we've kind of reached the end of the prepared material. So I'm going to go into questions now. We'll see if it's a, uh, see, let's see if we got some testing. Oh, perfect. Okay, so we've got a few questions here. Uh, we'll go through some of these, and then we'll also take, we'll mix it in for questions from the audience. But that's the end of the prepared material. So we'll jump right into this now. So the first question is, what are some common red flags slash mistakes aspiring product managers make? Um, this is not, so this is not going to be like a canonical answer. I haven't, you know, I've only hired for PM at two places. So I'm going to name some things there. Uh, let's just pretend I'm caveating before all my answers that I might be wrong. And we'll save ourselves a minute for answer. So some things that stand out to me are, um, firstly, uh, there's kind of an overfocus on weaknesses instead of strengths a lot of the time. So when you're just moving into product management, you might, if you thought about like, People always show like triangles or different shapes of like you need to be good at design and business and uh, UX. Uh, I just said design. Uh, design, business, like project management, like getting people to do stuff, leadership. Uh, ideally, you have a technical background. There's all this different stuff. And so a lot of people focus on like how do I check off all these boxes, which is not really the answer because when you're up against an experienced PM, you need to have a reason for them to pick you, not a reason for them not to pick you. UI default are not picked because there's someone that has a roughly similar skill set to you that's actually done this job before. So what you need to do is focus on the strengths, the ways that you stand out, in order to say, there might be all these experienced generic people out there, but if you need a really amazing person with numbers, or a person that's really experienced in this industry, it's me. Um, another big red flag I see, this might be more of a personal thing, but uh, if you make projects that don't have users, I don't care. Um, so like, it's very easy to make a project that purports to address a problem, but if no one uses it to do anything, then it's very difficult to say that product is useful. So it's not that this thing needs to make a lot of money or anything like that, but when you make kind of a, a just an abstract academic project, the hard part of product management is when your fun ideas run into the reality of the world, not using them or getting confused during your onboarding flow or confusing you with your competitor. And so just get some people to use it for something. But um, leaning too hard on doing projects versus just getting out there and talking to people is a big one. 
And then, as you guys would imagine from my talk, uh, one of the biggest mistakes is you don't get out there and talk to people and do a lot of applications. So if you're just applying all over the place and not doing the networking and really doing the research, I think that I, I don't think that works very well. So um, let's see. How to switch role from an engineer to a product manager. Um, and then the next one, how to switch role when you're not an engineer. Um, I don't really have... Uh, I think that the best, best resources to that would be... Peop There's like lots of talks and resources that specialize in that area. So we can kind of go into those more in depth. But in general, for any given vertical, you're going to have a set of strengths and weaknesses. And you need to figure out what companies care about those strengths and how to play them up. So think about how you'd be stereotyped. Uh, an engineer is probably going to be stereotyped as having very strong technical skills. You don't have to defend those very much. You'll do better at like, API-based startups. You might have stereotypes against you in terms of your business communication or design skills. So if those are really important to a company, you need to figure out how to show those. But there's not kind of a, I don't have a playbook in mind for you to move from A to B to C. I think that most people's roles are kind of different, and I don't think it'll have like a satisfactory guide for you there, aside from just think a lot about your branding and how you can work. I'd have you talk about your individual situation after this, but without asking you more about your life, I just can't really tell you very well. Um, how do you get an offer, or even better, multiple, when we are proactively job searching? Uh, so hopefully we've covered a little bit of that in this talk. Uh, one thing I will say is that offers lead to offers. So um, you can sequence your job search in a way where hopefully you get offers that you're not as excited about, and those help you accelerate the timeline for others. Uh, an advanced tactic would be pick your start date a couple months. Pick a date a couple months out and say that's your start date for this like tranche of applications. Every application you do in the beginning, like maybe uh, four months out, you try to slow them down. Anytime anyone tries to interview you, you're on vacation, you got to go kind of slow. As you get maybe three, two or three months out, do the regular pace, you get a month out, accelerate it. Always be really available, say I've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline. What that can do is you've structured a way that most of your offers should be hitting around the same time. You're running around like a crazy person, and they're sort of this, your, uh, your arrival good at that point. You're kind of in demand. It's harder to do when you're just searching for your first role, but uh, you can think very deliberately about how to sequence these things and play them against each other. And I wouldn't have gotten OkCupid if I hadn't walked in with four other offers, told them I had to do, I had to decide in 72 hours, and like, can I have an interview, please? That's just a very different proposition than I have no PM experience, and hello. Um, but a lot of, getting that first offer is super hard. A lot of it's going to have to be, once again, that interviewing, really understanding the company well. And generally, if you can bring them new problems, if, you're, if, the, if people leave the interview with you viewing their company differently, that's going to make a big impression, no matter how experienced or inexperienced you are. So if you can get to know a business well enough that you change people's minds about their strategy, that's a good way to get an offer. Um, could you give an example of a cold email so that we get a response? Um, happy to send that. I can pull one up on my computer after this if anyone wants to talk to me. Um, I'm not going to go rooting around in my email right now for fear of what we might find on the screen. Um, and then uh, what are some common starting roles that help transition into the PM role? I would say uh, kind of the most common stereotypes would be um, engineering is a good one. Anything in business where you manage people is a good one. Um, marketing can be really strong. It all depends on the company. But you can come from design. You can come from pretty much anywhere. Customer support can be rough sometimes. You have a lot of user empathy, but there is like a sort of a class bias 
in a lot of companies where they don't weight support as important as it is, and so they'll, they'll sort of be like a lower, viewed as like a lower tier. You will never be told that, it is not a polite thing to say. But it's hard to move from support into product uh, without doing that internally at a company a lot of times. But in general, the things you look for when you're taking a chance on someone are, have they led a team before? Like a real team that is ideally a team that has made software, but some group of people, you don't want to take their chance, the chance on they've never done product and they've never led before. It's very unlikely that both of those things are going to work out. Um, and so if, whether you're an engineer or designer or anything else, if you can get promoted before you try to move over, like if that's six months out, it might be good to do that before you leave your job just so you have some management experience because a lot of this job is soft power and you know, having authority over people very strongly while having no authority over them whatsoever on paper. Um, and then for an experienced PM who's trying to move into a new domain, uh, with a stunning zero votes, so we'll make that one pretty quick. Um, the thing I'd probably bring up is that you have a, it's less about vertical at that point, so not the industry you're focused on, but the functional skills that you've done and why they're important. So if you've done a lot of analysis, a lot of project management, a lot of work with engineers, you want your stories to be about that and probably not about the industry you're trying to move out of, so you can show why they'd be applicable in whatever uh, new and different industry you're in. So those are the questions up here. Uh, I imagine there might be some questions in the audience. Um, so the question, um, just uh, since it's recorded, is how important is marketing experience and what parts of marketing experience are looked for? Um, answer to most of the stuff is going to be a big fat. It depends, unfortunately. So for some companies where marketing is a really important challenge for them, that might be really, really strong. Uh, it could also be strong if uh, marketing isn't particularly important, but it's an area where their team is weak and they need to supplement they need someone that's strong in that area. Um, other companies that have marketing totally figured out, uh, like for example, OkCupid, they figured out content marketing before that was a job that people had. They had a blog with tons and tons of people reading it. Marketing was not OkCupid's problem, and so that wouldn't be as strong there. But the key is not so much, like, is this the right career or not? It's how do I take my experience in marketing and tell this company why that experience meaningfully helps their product be better? So that might be something like if, they're, if they have a big problem with user onboarding uh, or churn, which might be the result of bad onboarding, and you can show how you get people to take action based on your past experience, that could be super relevant. But I just, I don't think there's a blanket. For any good job, there's going to be PM jobs where it's super applicable and jobs where it's not. It's about how does it fit that particular company. A lot of times, it's very important for internal transfer. So I've done an internal transfer recently. I'm no longer working as an active product manager. I actually switched into sales. Uh, because I'm optimizing for uh, starting my own business in the future, and I've done product for a long time, and I want to pick up a new skill. So it, that was a tough internal transfer that I had to do because you're filling a role that has a lot of value to people, and then you're trying to say, I want to do something else, and there's a lot of people that have interest in you staying where you are. So the thing, one thing that helped me out a lot is try and figure out where the real power is. Like, not what is the formal process by which you would go about this, but who needs to believe that this will happen for things actually to happen to this company, and how you can convince those people that this will be in the company's best interest. Um, so from, I think it was like 2012, 2013, um, from when you were going over your background, yeah. going from a consulting role, right, and then yes. into your first PM role, can you right. share with us uh, what was the type of branding that you considered, you know, if it's like, oh, I have a lot of skills in business. Sure, sure. So like that was like, how did that play into the type of company that you you know, apply to, and what are some companies, I guess, are not good fits, and that's why you didn't even approach or, you know. Sure, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so uh, I'd say the strengths that I presented myself as having were um, a good understanding. I, 
I am an utterly weak designer, as you may have experienced during this presentation. So anywhere where they need to lean on PMs very strongly for UX, I disqualify it very quickly. That's not an area that I'm good at, nor am I interested in getting good at it relative to other things that I could spend my time learning. Um, so I try to picture myself, I'm extremely structured and organized. Um, I'm very comfortable uh, interacting with groups of people. Um, so I had good leadership experience from consulting where they just sort of throw you in when you're like 30 years younger than everyone else and you have to tell people why their business makes no sense. Um, and then uh, a really big part of it was a strong analytics background and strong tech backgrounds. So I had a CS degree and I had done a lot of that sort of work during consulting. So that led me to initially select companies that were very quantitative, even if they weren't the best companies for me, because I had no proof points as a PM. And people are, you know, some stereotypes of business people are like, you're going to be really arrogant. You're not going to know what's actually going on. You're not going to be able to interact with the team. So I got offers from Zynga and Pocket Gems very early, because they hire a lot of, for mobile gaming, there's a lot of numbers and optimization. And I leveraged those offers to get interviews at places I was more interested in going. Uh, like uh, Google or OkCupid. Um, but the key thing for me was uh, finding companies at first that were less ideal for me, but that fit my background very naturally, and then using the fact that those companies would give me offers to convince other companies that I was legitimate. Um, from the time in which we like to the job description through the informational interviews, and then actually like, getting and applying, what is the uh, so usually if you're not trying to sequence your job search in a way where uh, you're trying to make multiple offers hit at the same time from negotiating power, it's optimal to be going as quickly as possible. Uh, this, is, this is tougher because you're doing these informational interviews. So you probably, what you want to do pretty early on is try to get an informational interview very quickly, do a very broad reach out, and whoever responds to you first, try to knock that interview out of the park and get them to recommend you into the application process. Then delay the process a little bit, ideally, if you've, see, if you've seen when the role was published. So if you're, if you're an active job searcher, this came out today or something, you want to get into the pipeline so that you're sort of on the radar. Maybe do the first screen pretty quickly, but your super day, you want to delay a lot so that your other interview reach outs that hit in the meantime, uh, you use those between when your first recruiter interview is, which once you've gotten up to speed, you should pass like 80% of recruiter screens, hopefully. Um, and then before the super day, where you have many interviews and you often get knocked out, that's when you want to be doing three or four informational interviews using the legitimacy of, oh, I'm coming in for my big interview in a week or two. Um, a lot of companies will go through their super days in cycles. So you can find out a little bit about how the company does it. But usually they'll, fit, they'll have a set of people. They'll schedule the, the set of interviews for those people. They'll go through all of them. And if that means that if someone does a amazing job on day two and your day four, you don't necessarily lose. You just need to be in the same group already. So get the interview on the calendar and then delay it a little bit if you can. And um, have those interview reach outs from the beginning hitting in the meantime. But you can also get a feel from talking to the recruiter, usually if they're going to move quickly or not. Um, it's often really hard to find the right fit for product. So uh, this method, you will lose out on some roles because you move slower than others. But arguably, if you're going to get rejected from nine out of 10 of them, when applying normally anyway, then you're not really losing out too much. Would you recommend doing information interviews before? Like, let's just say you already have, let's say you already knew you wanted to work at OpenCube. Right, right. Would you have done the information interview before a job posting even came out? Or what, is, what is your recommendation? Uh, I like doing that. Um, at, large, at larger companies, it's more effective because they have roles at a higher rate. The problem with 
doing that in advance at a really small company, OKCupid was about 50 people, for example, is when they've got a PM, they're good for about a year, usually. They're not, if they're not massively expanding, then that, there's not having tons and tons of those roles. As you look at larger and larger companies, like an Airbnb or a Google or something, which is pretty much always going to be hiring, that's where you can start doing them in advance. But the other thing is you're going to find really good leads to other companies by doing these interviews. So maybe you have an interview and it doesn't yield, even if I'm talking to someone at OkCupid and they don't have a position right now, if I do well there, I might say, who are the product managers you most admire that you worked with in the past? And they connect me to people at two other companies, and you're going viral and sort of spidering out, just looking. And that'll bring new opportunities onto your radar in a really organic way. Uh, working at OkCupid was an intro from an intro from an intro from an intro from an intro. So uh, you can just go really viral with this stuff, and as long as you're pleasant to interact with and you have good questions and you respect people's time, I think um, you'll keep talking to interesting folks, and you can always just not, you know, it's not like you're obligated to do it once you're introduced, so just cut it off if it's not useful, but some people have really cool friends, and they have cool friends, and you end up somewhere cool. So I have a question, um, which is, let's say if we get too effective at what you taught us, uh -huh. you ended up getting a lot of offers like you did. Phenomenal. That's a champagne problem. Yeah, um, I guess it's just like, what's a tactical way to, in a way, we eliminate them and also like reject them, because I'm, I'm sure like the circle is quite small, right? You don't want to do it in a way that makes you look like you weren't serious about them to begin with. Yeah, so there's um, this book, In Transition, I really like. They have an exercise where you sort of stack rank the things that are important to you. So you write out on, on, on post-it notes everything that can be important to you in a job, and that's going to be different for different people. So maybe you say, like, future compensation, uh, time with my family, which to you might mean flexibility on a weekday, or it might mean that you get weekends absolutely off and no one ever calls you and you're never on call. Uh, current compensation, opportunity for growth, mentorship, whatever. And they have to look at each of those things and put them above or below each other. For every two, they need to be in the right order. What that spits out is it'll spit out a list of what you care about. Some of those things are things you can easily measure about a company. Like, I need to work with a team of at least 20 people or I go stir crazy. You can see that about a company when you look them up. Some of those things you find out about a company as you interview with them. If you say something like, I want to have a team that I really admire, you can't see that on AngelList. So... What you want to do is apply those as screening, you know, apply that pre-existing framework, because every company is going to be tempting its own way. But if you have that pre-existing framework of what you've decided to care about, and you apply that to these companies, that should allow them to shake out in terms of what you want and how much you want them, and then it's just a matter of negotiating for the thing that you want to maximize. And that's often not compensation. It might be the opportunity to be a PM in an area that you're really passionate about, or one that fits your five-year narrative of what you want to be a director of uh, a while from now. But... Once you have a lot of offers, um, that's a problem we all hope to have. Um, but by being, by being very vigilant about what you actually care about and not just taking the carrot of who's most charismatic or what seems exciting right now, um, that can help you pick the right thing. Uh, I picked OkCupid because they were willing to give me management of a product that was doing over a million in revenue a year with a team of about 12 with no pre previous PM experience. So I wanted, I wanted autonomy uh, and Google... You know, you, you don't even know what team you're going to work on before you work there. Um, so they were willing to give me the highest amount of responsibility, and that's what I wanted, so I went there. Um, so this will be a different approach based on your background. If you have a business background, or you don't need a business background, but if you enjoy thinking about that stuff, try to think about, like, what are the big problems with this company? Um, who might they be afraid of? What are their competitors? Thinking about things like that. But a lot of it's going to come down to information interviewing and asking people questions about, like, what are they concerned about? What are their big goals for the year? things like that to draw a picture of what's important to them, and then you can extrapolate from that into 
um, what might be best to talk about. So that's why you want to, ideally, before your main interviews, have done enough informational interviews to have a good idea of this. And also, like asking about goals is a great question because one of the scariest things you can tell executives is how their employees think that the main goal of the company is different, why, what that means is wrong about the company, and how you're going to fix it. Um, so uh, it seems like questions have slowed down, and I imagine some people uh, will take one more, and then uh, happy to keep talking afterwards, but I want to like pin everyone that's being very polite in their seats if they want to get a beer or leave. So we'll finish off uh, with Scott, who very graciously volunteered earlier. Yeah, mine should be fast. Um, I'm just wondering, you said earlier, we, when you screen candidates, you screen out people who have less than a year of product management experience. Yes. Does that include junior or associate product management positions? Um, I haven't hired for those, so in that position I probably would. But Meaning like if you were hiring a, man, a product manager, would you screen out people who had 18 months of associate product management experience? Uh, it would be a case by case. Okay. Like at least someone gave you the job title, but if you, I have to sort of evaluate if you're managing someone. It's, it's, a good, it's a good start, but again, like that was based on what that company needed. I'm not saying everyone does that. It's just like this is a 50-person company. We don't, have enough, we don't have enough of a product team to like take someone junior. It's like you got to be throwing down from day one, and that's going to be true of a lot of smaller companies. They're going to have one or two PMs. Those PMs need to be experienced. Um, but uh, like our goal is to get around that. And so the goal is that if you're introduced to me as someone that's really good at XYZ instead of a resume where I see your lack of experience off the bat, very different mental process, and you have much more of a chance if you're a person to me than if I just pick up your resume. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for coming out on this rainy evening and for listening to me talk for a while. I hope this was somewhat useful.